0: Here, along with Stephanie Burke, the silent assassin Matt Costa, and science advisor Matt Moniz, broadcasting here on WBSM as well as on Spooky TV on YouTube and also at SpookySouthCoast.com and on the Radio Pup app if you want to use that, on WBSM.com if you want to use that. So many different ways to get involved with the show, and we encourage you to do so. Uh, the best way at least the way that I think is the best way, is if you go to YouTube and watch the live video stream, we have the chat room feature back there as well. So there's that way to interact with us during the show. You can also text us at 67664. Just make sure you start your text with WBSM. You can use Twitter. We're either located at SpookySC, or you can just talk about the show using the hashtag Spooky Live, or the good old-fashioned way. You can call in at 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. I mean, really, this has got to be the most interactive paranormal show out there. So, so many different ways to get involved. We hope that you do so. In a little while, we'll be joined by our guest tonight, Blaine Duncan. Uh, He has a new documentary in the works called The Paranormal Diaries, and he's going to share with us his journey in going from being somebody who's interested in the paranormal and, and becomes a researcher and then goes into documentary mode. And also we're going to talk to him a little bit about his years spent researching the Amityville case, which we talked a little bit about last week because the house is up for sale. Anybody got an extra $850,000 kicking around?
1: Nope.
0: I have mm, not with me. I got about three fifty. I don't even have that. I got about eleven cents. So we're well well, well on our way. I, I was thinking about this like as a joke. I was thinking about starting a Kickstarter to see if we can reach eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars to buy the Amityville house. Why not? I mean uh if you don't reach your goal, I mean nobody has to pay, so the, the 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 downside of doing that though is one, somebody probably is saying is doing that right now because I just said it on the radio. But also two what if we actually, like, succeeded and we got the money to go buy the house? $22,000 a year in property taxes. Yeah. We'd have to come up with that.
1: That's too much.
0: Right. So, and and you know, like, the neighbors would not be happy about us m- moving in. <laughs> Imagine doing the show from the Amityville house every week. That would definitely be the most listened to paranormal radio
2: show ever, right? We need to get a boat.
0: It just reminds me of when Harry Price would do his radio broadcast from the Borley Rectory. And, like, they would talk, they would, like, live report all the weird things that were happening. Except this, we would actually have all the cameras with us and everything. Just so, something to keep in mind for the whoever takes over, whoever purchases the Amityville house. But we can talk more about that coming up a little bit later on. Uh, before we are joined by our guest, Blaine Duncan, I want to talk to the crew here about. The announcement this week that came out—if uh, anybody missed it—Jason Hawes posted up on social media saying that, you know, this upcoming season of Ghost Hunters will be the last on the Sci-Fi Channel. Now, from what I can gather from what he's talking about, there's some negotiations going on, maybe about getting it moved off of Sci-Fi to another network. I don't know all the ins and outs of their contract of their deal. I don't know if it's if there is an option where if sci-fi passes, you know they can move it somewhere else. I do know this, that Destination America has a show on it right now called Ghost Brothers that is produced by Pilgrim Films, the same company behind Ghost Hunters. So I could see where they already have a relationship with another network for a paranormal show, and because Destination America has been picking up the Haunted Collector reruns, and they've been running other paranormal shows that were produced on other... Uh, Produced for other networks as part of their paranormal programming, it seems entirely feasible to me that they might be willing to put some money behind new ghost hunters or at least acquire the rights to the reruns. so I, I again, I don't have any inside information about any of this. I don't think any of us do, but just based on what Jason was saying, you know it seems like they're looking into that. Other people have been saying like, nope, this is it. you know they're they're not going anywhere else. I don't know what to believe. If this is the end of that era. Then, does that mean anything for the quote-unquote paranormal world to see that show go by the wayside so when other shows are still going on and staying strong? And Stephanie, of course, you will be on the upcoming season of Ghost Hunters. Ugh. So you you might be in one of the final episodes. Ugh. Definitely one of the final episodes. So
1: we'll see. They told me it was going to be like eight months and. It hasn't happened yet, so.
0: Yeah, well, that's they're not even coming back. I don't think until August, so.
1: I I was hoping it was on like the floor of an editing room somewhere. Maybe
0: it could still be.
1: I'd be okay with that. You won't
0: actually know for sure until it airs, as uh, Moniz and I found out when we filmed Ghost Lab. Yeah, that that was terrible, by the way. I'm still upset about the way that that Sorry, all one. went down. <laughs> <laughs> You adjusted Moniz's headphones? I
1: did instead of mine. Okay. I couldn't hear anything, and that's the original one I plugged mine into, so I just surprised I a little am bit. Okay. Good for you.
0: But when we, when we filmed Ghost Lab, we went there. We spent like a good eight hours there, spent the whole day there yeah. with the crew. Yeah. Uh, they brought us into the Ghost Lab. They had us run all of our Lizzie Borden evidence that we'd supply. We gave them stories. We did a walkthrough in the house, telling them where different things happened, all kinds of stuff, and none of it made it into the show. Because they decided to go in a completely different direction of they were going to put Lizzie Borden on trial again, which was lame mm. and just came across as lame but so like we spent the whole day there, and that, we weren't we weren't paid for that though right it was no. Uncompensated. we didn't yeah. even get lunch, but uh so all that stuff goes and and none of it got used, not a single moment of it, not even a mention of it so That's crazy. but we still promoted it leading up to it like hey you know our episode of ghost labs coming on and mm-hmm. you know we pushed it for weeks and then people were like messaging us during the show like where are you guys how come you haven't been on that's sad right and it makes us look stupid but you have no control over that because in the end it's all about what they want to use to put together the episode so but uh, if this is the end stephanie of ghost hunters will that have an effect on the paranormal quote-unquote community
1: Maybe, like, the newer community or, like, the people that are just getting into it now, but I think the people that have been in before Ghost Hunters even aired in around the era when they first came out, probably not. Um, I remember when it first, first aired, probably the first season, maybe even, like, first five episodes, I would not leave the room while it was on. I was so intrigued because it was actually becoming mainstream rather than one of those things that are just pushed to the side because nobody's supposed to talk about it. Um I remember even, like, the first few episodes, I remember sitting alone in a room and, like, actually being afraid, um, and then things just grew from there, and I feel like it's lost its original, um, spark and just the, the whole meaning to it all, um, I liked it better then than I do now, but there's so many other shows out there now, and it's branched off into so many different directions, and I think people's interests have branched off into so many different directions. Um, You have shows now on UFOs. You have shows shows on um, Bigfoot, and people are realizing that there's more to this aspect than than what originally was just shown to you, like tunnel vision ghosts, and that's it. Um, So... I don't I don't see anybody really being that upset maybe like the real true die hard Jason Hawes lovers
0: Well, I mean, every TV show is going to change over time, especially if they've been on for 10 years and however many seasons they've had. You know, you might run out of steam, but Moniz, you've been in this field for a long time. You've probably seen groups that have run out of steam, and and, and TAPS is a group, and whatever, whoever's investigating, and I don't even know because I don't watch anymore, but whoever's part of the investigation team right now, yeah, they might not still be together out there investigating, but the TAPS organization Mm -hmm. is still going strong, completely independent of television, and that won't
2: change. Uh, But, Moniz, you've probably seen where, after a while, this burns people out, too. I've watched them come and go long before the show even aired. Um, One of the groups I was involved with starting Project Find back in 1990 at Bristol Community College. I watched a number of people start their own groups there, and then a year or two later, they're gone. And back in the 80s there were, i think there was like four groups in massachusetts period that 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 existed that that were known yeah uh, there were at least were networking yeah, with other yeah, groups yeah yeah and you know to hear from them was rare and then you know with the advent of ghost hunters then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you know people came out of the woodwork um not not just you know at, Average people jumping into this. I'm talking. There were other groups that were a little bit more clandestine because remember, this was not a popular thing. Right? Yeah. You know, you didn't go around telling people you were doing this. So nope. you know, they saw. It was like, okay, I, I can come out now, and you know, right. It was
1: comfortable. Know, yeah, people felt it, it, acceptable. Normal.
2: Right. Yeah. See, I think that.
0: Um, I, I think that it's going to change things a little bit because. Paranormal television already is trying to get away from, or paranormal-themed television, should say, is trying to get away from the investigation aspect. Uh, they're just not putting out a lot of new shows with that type of format. Or if they are, it's it's that format, but with a gimmick, with a twist. And so I think the, the fact that Ghost Hunters was like, we go out and we look for ghosts, that was really their gimmick.
1: Right.
0: And... It, then these shows have all had to evolve from that so I think this is kind of the end of that and, and we can debate how pure that was but I think you're, you're going to lose that sight of that because no other show will, will just have we're going to go out and look for ghosts as is, is just the basis of the show anymore Because now it's all going to have some kind of twist and turn. So you lose that aspect of it. Uh, But in the end, I think that the the shows overall are getting away from investigation and trying to get more into the dramatizations. Right. You know, we're seeing more of a comeback of those type of stories, uh, of those type of shows where it's, you know, a paranormal witness show where they're telling you, uh, I cannot believe that um, I didn't have
2: my phone on vibrate. (laughs) You're fired. But, uh, all right, I'll see you later. (laughs) Hey, I was almost arrested today.
1: (laughs) Right, right. We can't take you anywhere. That...
2: Uh,
0: just very quickly, uh, that, that's just a funny story we'll share with everybody. Moniz, you've been here about five minutes tonight. Yeah. When that... two two <laughs> police cars showed up. And
1: trapped me in the middle of them.
0: Two of Fairhaven's <laughs> finest, yes. Yeah, St- uh, Stephanie's trying to get into the building. And uh, and we have police officers in Fairhaven that listen to the show, like religiously, like every week. And they drive through the parking lot and they wave. And, you know, they say that's just because they want to let us know they're listening to the show. And so... I don't think ever. I don't think it's ever weird to see an officer kind of roll through. Yeah. They patrol anyway. They I enjoy
1: all the time. it. It makes me feel safer. <laughs>
0: yes. So I didn't think anything, but there was two cars, and they stopped, and then I see Stephanie talking to them. I'm like, "All right, what's going on?" So I go over to let her in anyway, and uh, one of the officers comes up and says, uh, "There was just a, a long-haired kid, like, knocking on the windows," and I was like, "No, no, there's no kid here." And I was like. Wait oh, they're talking about Moniz. <laughs> I was like, no, no, he's one of our co-hosts. He's inside already. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they just took off. But you you had like, been outside long enough just to, like tap on the window so that we knew that you were there and we had to let you in. And then it was only like a, you'd only been in the building a couple of minutes.
2: They had to have been around the corner.
0: So somebody must have just called
1: you know what's funny, the second
0: it? they saw you get out of the car.
1: It has to be somebody that isn't used to being here because that is your signature move every single Saturday night. For the past Almost the exact years. same time. You walk up to the window, you knock on it, you walk in, you're wearing a black t-shirt, you have your hair down, it never changes. Usually you have the exact same pants, the exact same shoes on, like it is cloth- Not
2: the exact, but the no, same style. No, but like style.
1: the exact same style. So, I don't understand. I'm still confused <laughs> by this. And I'm still very confused. Like, I thought they were just going to say, like, hey, you're going into the, you know, because they saw me walk in that way. And I know that they listen to the show. And I'm like, a long-haired kid, no. I, no, I don't see anybody out here. But... Sure enough.
2: Shit, I'm the oldest one in here.
1: Yeah, but I guess you can take it as a compliment. Sure. I'll go with that. Right.
2: Yeah, right. I I mean, I actually
0: think that uh you know, it it's a good thing that people are keeping such a tight eye. Oh, absolutely. On the studio and, you know, making sure that there's nobody, you know, you know, what if it wasn't us? What if it was just some some other weirdos banging on the window?
1: It's still hysterical.
0: But the it, whole
1: story is hysterical. <laughs>
0: Whoever is out there, that was uh, the one that called it in, though, if you, if you are listening, you know, thank you for keeping an eye out. But try to be a little bit quicker on the draw next time because he actually got in first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by our guest tonight, Blaine Duncan. He'll talk with us about his new documentary that he's working on as well as some of his research that he's done over the years. And, and we were talking uh, this morning, and I was mentioning that, we were going to have on Ken Gerhardt t- talking about the Jersey Devil and cryptids, but that has been moved. We had to reschedule. Ken, he needed uh, another week, so he'll be with us next week, and uh, we'll be back. We'll be back to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I just got that message. And uh, (laughs) it throws me off on the air. Uh, So uh, we will we will uh, definitely be covering that topic next week. uh, But we'll be talking with Blaine coming up in just a few moments. And you can call in during the show, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Or you can text us, 67664. Just start your text with WBSM. uh, And also talk about the show on Twitter using the hashtag Spooky Live. We'll be back in just a moment with more Spooky South Coast here on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with Stephanie Burke, the silent assassin Matt Costa, and science advisor Matt Moniz. And we're about to be joined by our guest for tonight, but uh, just real quickly, I want to thank the gang from House of Brooks Wrestling for having me back last night to do some more ring announcing. And uh, it's always fun to get out there and do that. And, And this show is crazy because there was a lot of changes on the fly. So I, you know, I really got to kind of see how it all works behind the scenes, and had a great time hanging out. It was nice not to have to, because it was a Friday night event. I didn't have to like run right back here and do the show. So I had a little bit of time to hang out with everybody afterwards, and it was a good time. Although the next show is June sixteenth, I'm sorry, July sixteenth, so that will be a Saturday night show. So I will be running back here to the station. Maybe there's a Red Sox game late that night so I can take a little bit of time. But that's a, a fundraiser for the Greater New Bedford Youth Baseball League. Uh, it'll be happening outdoors at Dyer's Field, so if you want to come and take part in that and you know I might I might need some spooky South Coast backup if you guys are around because uh, you know, two buff and, and the buff dad are starting to get to me a little bit. You know, making me say certain things uh, on the microphone that I don't agree with, like how he's my favorite wrestler and all that kind of stuff. So, this this might it might come down to something that will be unpretty and un and unlucky for two buff. So, we'll see that what night? happens.
2: Are you talking like tag team type of thing?
0: Uh, I just I might just need somebody to get my back because you know they they there's two of them. Not that I couldn't handle them, but there's two of them and one of me. So, I can know, do it's, it for you. It's a numbers game. But not that my money's on stuff. Not that I need to worry, because too buff is like he's physically built like Stephanie, you know. So perfect. So So
1: I'll just jump in with you. It's awesome. Yeah, it shouldn't. I might be in Florida then, though.
0: We'll see what happens. All right, well, uh, joining us now, we have our guest for this evening. His name is Blaine Duncan. He's had a lifelong fascination with the paranormal, uh, growing up in a haunted home and then becoming a paranormal investigator. He's also done years of research on the Amityville Horror case as well, and uh, now he has recently begun working on his own documentary called The Paranormal Diaries that uh, he is hoping to release next year that will involve traveling across the country on a paranormal road trip in search of the most haunted locations, and he joins us tonight to talk about that. Uh, good evening, Blaine. How are you? Hey, Jim. How are you? Uh, we're doing spectacular as we say here, and thank you for joining us. I know it was kind of last minute, but, you know, when I got your email about coming on, uh, I was very intrigued, uh, not only about the, the documentary and, and what you'll be doing for that, but, you know, when you mentioned having years of research into the Amityville case. So I want to get into kind of all of that tonight, if we can, if that's cool with you.
3: Absolutely. Let's do it.
0: All right. Well, now there's a lot of documentaries out there on the paranormal on haunted places it's become something that i think it lends itself very well to the documentary process Uh, how do you envision being able to put something together that'll be different than what we've seen come down the pipe pipeline over the last few years
3: yeah i mean i i I think you're absolutely right you know the the paranormal field as far as uh, filmmaking and and documentaries and um and tv shows has, has blown up over the years i think it's um, something that has become normal for people to talk about around the kitchen table now, um, which it wasn't that way 20 years ago. So I think that's kind of the key is to try to find something that's different. Um, and I I think the best way to do that is is just simply by evidence. Um, I think every every film that's out there, every documentary, uh, every TV show is able to offer uh, you know the evidence in itself that can reveal um, some history about the locations and. Um, to to also just give a background on the story, but I think what we're going to do is we're really going to dive truly into the history and do a lot of research and, and not skip over some of the things that are typically skipped over. Um, and then on top of that, we're we're just we're getting some amazing evidence. We we actually just had uh, our first filming uh, two weeks ago, and um, unbelievable the amount of evidence we gotten. and we're not even through reviewing it yet. So extremely extremely excited.
0: So when you're putting together the idea of of making this road trip, I mean, have you set, you know, a start point and an end point, or are you just kind of just hitting the road and seeing where it takes you?
3: Well, it's a little bit of both. I think um, everybody kind of has that wish list or the places that they really want to try to investigate or get to. Um, So I'm combining my wish list uh, along with kind of just an off-the-cuff road trip um, to, to get that evidence that I'm looking for. Um, so I'm, I'm taking some of the, the locations that are uh, close to me. I live in Minneapolis, uh, taking some locations that are close to me, and then we're also hitting the road um, and traveling to uh, you know some of these just crazy haunted locations. And it's actually pretty interesting because this afternoon uh, I was actually scouting a location uh, in, in southeast Minnesota, um, place that's never been investigated before. It's been abandoned actually for almost 40 years now. Um, really cool location. Uh, actually, a state representative from Minnesota used to live there with his family in the, uh, 18, late 1800s. And, um, very, very cool location. And then right before actually coming out with you guys tonight, uh, I was able to walk in another location in Wisconsin. So, very, very exciting stuff. Well, I think that the,
0: you know, for somebody who is a paranormal researcher and really wants to kind of get beyond just uh, are there ghosts and, and get into the question of, you know, what does it all mean and and how is it all connected? You know, the road is a great place to do that because you get the opportunity to go out and conduct these investigations, but then you have some downtime in between, some travel time where you can actually mull over what it was that you experienced and where you can actually kind of reflect back. So it gives you an opportunity to not only, you know, review whatever evidence you might have caught, but review the process that you went through and the experiences that you had.
3: And, and that's exactly what we're going for. Um, it's actually my brother, uh, his name is Austin, and myself are the ones we're all um, doing this road trip. And um, it's, it, it's a neat experience to be able to have it with him. And uh, you know, we we both grew up in a um, uh, uh, haunted house here in, in Minnesota, and it's it's really a, it's a great experience for us because it, it's sort of like we've come full circle in a way. Um, and, and you're right, there's there is downtime on the road, and um, there's that you know camaraderie that we continue to build up as brothers. Um, it just it makes for a really great atmosphere, uh, and, and plus you throw the whole road trip idea into it, and it's just uh, it's turned out really great.
0: And we had uh, John Tenney on the show a couple weeks ago, and he was telling us about how when they were filming Ghost Stalkers, there would be these moments where they were in the car just having conversations about whether it was something they experienced or whether it was just theory, and that, you know, just traveling down the road from one location to another, they would find other spots that they wanted to stop, and it, it became kind of a very organic thing, That a lot of that got cut out of the television show. And I think being able to, to show it in the documentary format, you you don't know what's going to happen when you're, when you're out there trying to get from one place to the other. You don't know what else you're going to happen upon, and you don't know what might follow you as you head on down the road as well.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, one thing that we talked about very early on is we said the cameras are going to roll, and they're going to roll, and they're not going to stop rolling until we're done. Um, because we want to be able to capture exactly what you were just talking about, we want to be able to um, bring that that real feeling of, of two brothers going on this road trip, and you know, seeing what happens along the way. Um, so it's 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 really it's been fun so far, and we're really just getting going. Um, again, like I said, we we've got some some locations that are be coming up here in the next uh, few weeks to month to a month. Um, and and it's it's just it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really good time. And the location that we were actually at a few weeks ago uh, was the Palmer House Hotel. Have you heard of that?
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
3: Okay, yeah. And, uh, the Palmer House Hotel. For those um, who are listening, I haven't heard, uh, it's featured on Ghost Adventures. Uh, featured on uh, my ghost story, I believe, probably the most haunted location uh, in the state of Minnesota. And Kelly, who is the owner, is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, she gave us essentially uh, a, kind of an all-access pass to the hotel, and uh, it was it was unbelievable. And, and you got some really great EVPs, some uh, shadows, orbs, uh, even the sound of a dog caller. Uh, they have ghost dogs that are there. Uh, so kind of that, that sound of a chain. So really, really cool stuff.
0: I mean, that's one of those places that I was out there a couple of years ago, and we actually did the Mounds Theater. Um, yep. yep. Uh, but uh, I was out there with, with Tim Dennis from Darkness Radio, and I, I was like, yeah, I wish I had just had another day here, because that would have been the place I would have gone to, uh, just from all the great stories that go out there. Was So that, was this your, your, your first experience being there, or had you been there in the past?
3: It was not, no. And I, I picked it just based off of um, past experiences of being there. This was the the third time that I had actually been there. Uh, My brother Austin was his first time, Um, so I was able to kind of you know do one of those. Hey, you hang by me, kid. I've I've got you. We'll 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 get you through this. And um, it was really it was it was fun. It was it was a good time. I mean, I I think we uh, we were actually there for three days, um, and we investigated room seventeen, which is Lucy's room. Um, She is not uh, the spirit of Lucy is not a big fan of males in general. So. We get some really good stuff in there, um, but no, this is actually my third time there, and, and the Palmer House did not disappoint.
0: Well, we'll certainly talk about your experience as an investigator during the course of the discussion tonight. But how about as a filmmaker? Is uh, you know, do you, have you uh, been coming up with other documentaries in the past? Has there been other uh, stuff that people could see that you've worked on?
3: Well, I, I'm i uh, I'm sorry, I'm an amateur documentary filmmaker, but um, I was actually involved for. Uh, those of you who have an interest in, in the Amityville story, I was actually involved with uh, my Amityville horror. Have you guys had the opportunity to see that, that film? Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, Eric's film uh, uh, focusing on Danny Danny Lutz, right?
3: Correct. Yeah. So, what there's kind of a little bit of a backstory there. Um, Eric and I actually have a website uh, that people can check out. It's called amityvillefiles.com, dot com, um, and uh, it, it's the largest database for any Amityville information that's on the internet. It's got everything on there, but. Um, we were actually contacted by a friend of uh, Danny Lutzs in 2009, and basically this friend said, "Hey, Danny wants to tell a story and we're reaching out to you because of your website. Um, so we ended up going to uh, New York, flying out to New York, meeting with Danny. Um, and that was kind of the initial stages of the documentary. Um, we did some audio recordings, things like that with Danny. And uh, that was really my introduction to documentary filmmaking. Um, Eric Walter is a, a great director. He's he's going to do a lot. I think he's brilliant. Um, but that was truly my first experience with documentary filmmaking.
0: And, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that I got the email from you recently about coming on the show and mentioning Amityville, and now Amityville, the house is up for sale, and and we're going to get into all this coming up in the next hour, but I knew that things were going to take a turn really soon, because just a couple weeks ago, I got a friend request on Facebook from Danny. And I was like, mm-hmm. this, this, this means something because this show. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with our show, we have a lot of weird connections to Amityville, and uh, and over the years, it's kind of wreaked havoc with us. So it won't be uncommon for if we're talking about this later on, for us to have all kinds of technical problems go on, or or different sure. things that might might happen. But uh, we'll fight our way through it to continue the discussion. Absolutely. Uh, so, but now, so that gives you kind of the the. The seed is planted now to be able to go out and do this on your own. Uh, how I mean, in terms of planning all of this, how much of this is going to be pre-planned and how much of this is going to be kind of free-form? Because I think that when you're actually out there on a you know boots on the ground documentary, you have to be able to take into account all of the things that might pop up along the way.
3: Exactly, and I, I think that's spot on. Um, I I would have to you know just by giving you a number, I would have to say 50-50. Mm-hmm. You know, fifty percent of it is gonna be planned. We know the locations that we're gonna go to. Um, but it's gonna be those stops along the way. You know, this this location that I was at actually in, in southern Minnesota today was just uh a chance uh by chance kind of thing where I happened to be driving by and I saw this house and I was like, Wow, that is it's a beautiful old house. It's been abandoned since I think nineteen seventy four. Um so I stopped in there and, and got some information on it from uh from a few of the locals. Um, and so that's, we're, we're working on that right now, but, you know, again, it's things like that that you just, you have to capture, and unfortunately I wasn't rolling on that, I, I didn't even have my cameras with me, I uh, wasn't expecting it, I wasn't even working on the film. Um, so I would, I would have to say 50% of it is gonna be planned as far as where we're going, what we're doing, uh, and then the other 50% is just gonna be kind of on the fly.
0: I think, mean, can you mention some of the hotspots you're, you're definitely planning on hitting, or do you wanna kind of save it as a surprise for the film?
3: Well, there's actually there's a couple locations right now that we're actually um, under contract with that We, we can't discuss right now, mm-hmm. um, just based off of just based off of that. But um, I can assure you, there's there's several that you've heard of, and there's going to be several that are completely off the radar.
0: Yeah, and that's that's what interests me the most. I mean, not only I mean, people say, oh, you know, all these places they go to the same place. Everybody goes to Waverly Hills. Everybody goes to Penhurst. But I see the interest in seeing how different people approach these same places that I'm that I'm already familiar with but also you know I just I love finding new places and and that's you know one of the jobs that I've done for for TV shows is trying to find these locations that nobody else has been and there's a lot of them out there it's just a matter of being able to convince people to let you go in and I think what you're doing you know coming in with this uh you know smaller scale very personal journey uh is going to appeal to a lot of these places when you are going into a place though that has no history of having been featured before uh it also kind of gives you the chance to not have any kind of uh tainting of your investigation by anybody else's previous investigation and i'm sure that that's very appealing not only as an investigator but as a filmmaker
3: it is and and you know as a filmmaker especially as a documentary filmmaker the entire purpose of what i'm doing is, is to tell this story and to be able to find these uh, off-the-grid locations that um, you know nobody's ever heard of before is it's it's really it's fun it's exciting um, and you know and I have no idea what kind of evidence that they'll produce you know I could go into one of these places and think it's going to be just the greatest thing and then walk out with nothing or it could be just the opposite of that that I go in thinking well this this might be just a you know sort of your more quote-unquote laid-back hunting and walk out and be absolutely blown away with what we received.
0: Is there, um, before we get too deep into the discussion on other things, is there a way that if people want to reach out to you and say, hey, while you're out there on the road, I've got a great place for you to check
3: out? Absolutely. And I've been I've been trying to reach out to people um, via social media, and I would say the best way to do that, there's actually three different ways. Um, the first would be to just go to Facebook. Uh, go to Facebook.com slash The Paranormal Diaries Film, um, and that will take you directly to the, the Facebook page. Um, you can follow me on Facebook. Just look up Blaine Duncan. Uh and then the Paranormal Diaries, uh, that should pop up as well. And also on Instagram, uh, we're at the Paranormal Diaries. Uh, Instagram at the Paranormal Diaries. And then also, if people wanted to send me an email, uh get in touch with me if they have a location that they'd like for us to check out. Um, we've actually already had a couple requests, so we're we're working on those. But uh if they want to send me an email, it's just paranormal at gmail dot com.
0: So I mean and I wouldn't be surprised too to just you know have people say to you if you're out, you know if you're in this area and you want to come by, it's basically like, it sounds like it's going to be kind of like an American Pickers type paranormal research show where you're just you you're just going to be driving around and being like, that place looks haunted. And knocking yep. on doors and trying to convince people to let you come in.
3: Exactly. And and we're going to learn so much from the people who are willing to open up and tell us that, you know, maybe they don't want these big film production companies to come in and, and to invade their privacy and invade their space. Maybe buy being a little bit more, um, you know, having this smaller production and going in, they'll be much more willing to discuss these things with us. And um, we're, we're really looking for people to reach out to us. If you if you guys have anything that you'd like to see us go to, any locations that you'd like to see us investigate, definitely, definitely hit us up, um, and we'll take, uh, you know, everything into consideration. There's nothing that's off the table.
0: Uh, one of the questions that's popped up in our chat room on, on YouTube is uh, they're asking, and if you, if anybody wants to watch, if you go to youtube.com slash user slash coast the live feed is right there, or you can just go to SpookySouthCoast.com to get it. Uh, but one of the questions that's come up is, you know, the issue with filming is that what if you go out there and you invest all this time and money and you come back with nothing?
3: Well, that's a great question. I and, mean, again, it's something that we, we can't prevent. You know, I mean, it, we can't turn on a light switch and hope that these things happen. Um, but it's one of those things that I think, if uh, as paranormal researchers, everybody knows that um, there is certain ways to investigate and there's other ways not to. Um, we come in with a uh, our own sort of way, which is um, much more laid back. We're trying to really get to know the spirits that are in these locations, and so far it's been uh, incredibly productive. We've gotten some great evidence and it's a great question and, and there's no real answer to it again we can't flip on a switch and make a ghost appear on film but that's hoping that's what we're hoping for
0: but also too I mean if the documentary is done in the way that you're you're describing it in the way that you envision it it's just as much about the journey as it is about whether or not any evidence comes out of these investigations
3: absolutely yeah, that's exactly right and and I, I think there is um, there is that aspect to it too you know it's it is going and investigating these things. I'm hoping that we can get skeptics to watch this film and they can, they can talk to us about whether they believe what we're doing and, and we can actually maybe even take some of them with us at some point and, and potentially turn them into believers. So we want this to really range, uh, you know, kind of span across a, a wide range of, of an audience for us and just pull in everybody that we can.
0: And as you're traveling around, I mean, I'm sure it's possible that, you know, when you're in the neck of the woods of somebody who's kind of a noted paranormal researcher, you'll probably want to grab them for a few moments and and film some of their thoughts, that type of stuff.
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, interviews are are just as important as the actual, um, you know, the documenting of the the paranormal investigation. And uh, that's something that we really strive for, especially when we're up at the Palmer House. Uh, We did several interviews there. Um, and and that's what's going to be really important too, because again, going back to this, we're we're storytellers. You know, that's what we're doing. We're taking the words from somebody's mouth, and we're just distributing that out and letting people kind of digest that. So interviews are going to be incredibly important. Um, connecting with people, uh, and that's again where I hope people connect with me, and and we'll take we'll take everything into consideration.
0: Awesome. Well, it sounds like it's really going to be a a very exciting project. And uh, coming up in the next hour, we'll talk more about it. We'll also talk about some of your history as a paranormal researcher, and we'll talk about the Amityville case. I do think that, you know, it's interesting that you said that getting involved with my Amityville horror is kind of what planted these seeds in your mind because, you know, that's something that uh, I think for a lot of people it is a touchstone case. I mean, it certainly was for me. It certainly was something that, as a kid, it – Drew my attention and, and drew my focus into this world, uh, but do you do you feel like by having that kind of serve as part of the inspiration, at least in the filmmaking aspect of it, um, are you worried at all about kind of some of the overexposure issues that happen with some of these locations?
3: Well, you know, I I, I think you're right. I, I you know, and I should be clear on this too. Is is my initial involvement with Miami Amityville horror? Um it, it was it was right at the beginning of the document right in the initial planning phases. Um and and I ended up bowing out of the documentary, not for, you know, any negative reasons or anything. It was just um Eric kind of had a different vision from from what I was looking for and it was a uh we're still friends, there was no bad anything negative attached with it. Um people always assume because somebody bowed out of something that there's something bad going on. But there was none of that. It was just he had a different idea and that was fine and it turned out great. Um but you know, there are negative connotations with the Amityville story. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about it. People um, have heard Amityville for the last 40 plus years, um, and there are people that are tired of hearing about it. Especially those people who live in in Amityville. Uh, now, recently, with you know the house being for sale, with The Conjuring Two coming out this weekend, uh, there's a new Amityville movie coming out in, in January, I believe. It, it, people are getting tired of it. So I, I. Tried to distance myself over the last few years from the Amberville story because of that, but it's it will always be a, a part right. of my past, and I still enjoy, you know, reading anything new that comes out on it, um, or you know, even just meeting people who had a story to share regarding the Amityville
0: story. You won't be distancing yourself from it tonight, unfortunately. <laughs> we'll make sure we keep talking about it. Uh, we are yeah. going to take a break now, though, for the network news. When we come back on the other side, we'll pick up our discussion with Blaine Duncan. And In the meantime, as you said, you can check out uh, Facebook.com slash The Paranormal Diaries Film, where you can find out more about the film, and also it'll give you a chance to reach out to Blaine there as well if you want to get involved. And uh, We'll be back with just, uh, in just a few minutes with more Spooky South Coast. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with Stephanie Burke, the silent assassin Matt Costa, and science advisor Matt Moniz. And now we'll be jumping right back into the discussion with our guest, Blaine Duncan, in just a moment as we're talking about his forthcoming documentary, The Paranormal Diaries, as well as his experience out there researching the paranormal, and particularly the Amityville case, which we'll get into in this hour. But Blaine had mentioned The Conjuring 2 coming out, and uh, I believe what was it was released, opened yesterday? And so this is the second film in The Conjuring series, following the the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren. I guess you could call it the third if you want to include the Annabelle film. Uh, But it's the second one under The Conjuring title. And uh, the first one broke all kinds of box office records. It's the second biggest horror film, money-making-wise, of all time, behind um, The Exorcist. So this is a film that has drawn a lot of attention. And now... It's drawing even more attention, of course, because you have Andrea Perrin, who the original film was based on her family's experiences in the Harrisville, Rhode Island farmhouse. She is at odds uh, very publicly with Norma Sutcliffe, who is the current resident of that farmhouse, and they have a lot of um, differences in the research that they've done about the history of the location and some of the background of the story. Uh, so just... Putting that out there for people to, to stay aware of so they can follow along with the story if they want to a little bit more. Uh, I did just send a Facebook message to both Andrea and Norma asking them if they want to come on and debate and discuss this topic. I don't know if it will happen. I, I feel like um, there's probably some legalities involved in the the fight that they're having. Uh, so they might not be able to come on and debate, but I just wanted to throw that out there in case, uh, in case that they wanted to use this show as a forum to go back and forth, uh, because usually, you know, when we've done that, we've done a pretty good job of moderating.
2: Mm -hmm. I go back to that show we did, I don't know if you remember Moniz, but, are you talking about the game? and Yeah, the right. Amer- the, that actually wound up being a very informative I, show. I couldn't believe how that worked out. The, for those unfamiliar, there was a, a board game, a
0: strategy board game coming out about King Philip's War that a gaming company had put together because they researched King Philip's War and they thought that it sounded like a cool idea for one of these games. And the Native American community was all up in arms because they thought that They were just profiteering off, you know, the the bloody history of King Philip's War. We ended up having both sides on the show to go back and forth. And by the end of the show, the game designers were bringing in the Native American representatives into the fold to advise them and to make sure they made the game historically accurate and historically sensitive to what went on. That's awesome. And basically, like, we just bridged the gap just by having them come on and air mm-hmm. their differences. So that's what, hopefully, we can do the same thing for Andrea and Norma, the offers out there. I just, you know, I know that that's probably not going to happen, but I just want to put it out there and because that's what this show can be. It can be that that forum for people to go back and forth uh, of course, we have no agenda. We have no dog in the fight. So I just don't I don't want to sit on the stage again at Ocean State Paracon coming up July 16th and mm-hmm. 17th uh, and go through what happened last year. But we'll just leave it at that because uh, we've all kind of agreed not to not to talk about that. Never happened, but it did, and it was scary. Oh, my God. Uh, listen, I don't care how old he is. I would not mess with Roger Perrin. I'm just putting that out there. The man is still very imposing. I think he's in his 80s, and I still would not pick a fight with him. I'll just leave it at that. All right, so we'll get back into the discussion now with our guest, Blaine Duncan. And of course, uh, as we mentioned, if you want to go check out the YouTube page, I'm sorry, the um, Facebook page for the Paranormal Diaries, just go to facebook.com slash the Paranormal Diaries movie. And you can go, uh, the Paranormal Diaries, no, it's not showing me the web address. But you can just go right to it. Look up the Paranormal Diaries on Facebook. We'll just. Bring back up Blaine, and
3: he can correct me if I'm wrong.
0: It's uh, Blaine. It's Facebook.com/slash/The Paranormal Diaries movie,
3: or uh, film. Facebook.com/slash/The Paranormal Diaries film. Uh, film.
0: Facebook somehow just changed the URL at the top of the screen to just Facebook.com because that's how they are. Like right, they, they exactly. do don't, They don't care about your film. They just want to make sure to remember it's on Facebook.
3: Right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, and I got to tell you before we get going here, as we're. Um, during the break, during the commercial break, I don't know if it's the Amityville talk. I don't know what it is, but actually, the room that I'm sitting in, um, the overhead fan turned on by itself. <laughs> never had that happen before. I wow. can't explain it. I don't know. Uh, never seen it before, but kind of a, a strange little tidbit there
0: well i mean we've had so many weird kind of amityville related things that have happened in here uh over the years and uh one of the see a little bit behind the scenes info uh we have our our content director chris balzano uh, who's in the chat room on youtube tonight uh you know a couple of years ago he's he's been very friendly with jackie barrett uh who i'm sure you followed some of her amityville research and yep. some of her work and yep when before she wrote the book with, with Ronnie DeFeo, she had mentioned to Chris possibly writing the book and Chris knew how much I was into Amityville and, and he had mentioned to me possibly working on it. And he was trying to connect me with Jackie to work on it. In the end Jackie said, you know, I think it's I have to do this myself uh, even though she wasn't a writer per se and you know, she hadn't really dove into a a full volume of, of adult work yet. But what was funny is I had mentioned something while we were interviewing her about the book and she told me that night that she had a message for me from Ronnie DeFeo and that freaked me out more than anything as soon as she said that a chill went down my spine and he had basically given her a message something like "You know, I should really stop poking into it because it's going to start poking me back sure. And, and sure enough it has over the years have you had a lot of strange experiences when dealing with that case? Have you ever felt like maybe in researching it has it ever really reached out toward you?
3: You know, that's a great question. Um, I'll be honest with you. I There have been times where um, it, really over the last 20 years it's kind of fluctuated where I've gotten really into the Amityville story. I'll get inspired because a new book will come out or a new movie will come out, and I'll start contacting people who I've, I've known from the past who are into it. Um, I don't want to say that anything. I'm, I'm a very skeptical person, so I don't want to see anything. There's, there's been anything that's necessarily been associated directly with Amityville that has happened to me. Um, but I can tell you this much. The, the house that is in Amityville, uh, used, the address used to be 112 Ocean Avenue. It's now changed. The uh, past owners had it changed to a different address.
0: I think it's 109 now?
3: Uh, yeah, it's, it's 108 108 Ocean Avenue. Okay. The But the number is 112 have come up in my life in so many different ways. Um, it can be driving down the road I'll I'll pull behind a vehicle and the license plate says one twelve or I look down on my watch and it's one twelve PM um, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll look at my clock and it's one twelve. A- again, I'm coming from a the, the skeptical part of me says, Well that's just coincidence. you you must have that number in your mind. But it is really unbelievable at how many times a day those three numbers come up in my everyday life again, again not saying it's 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 necessarily related to amityville like it could be entirely just i have been involved with the case i know the numbers i see those numbers and they kind of pop out but it it's pretty interesting that and just kind of the weird ways and i've mentioned it to people that i know and and i'll even say yeah, there you go one one twelve or or you know one one oh eight 108 even sometimes and they're like that is really strange how often it comes up in your life
0: it, you know, at some point, it's like, yeah, it's a, you know, it's kind of like a a time prompt thing. And, and uh, you know, there's a whole book that was written about it, um... I know Marie D. Jones wrote a book about it, uh, but you know the idea that you just kind of get like 11-11 in your head, so you have all these weird 11-11 coincidences and things. And so I do think it's possible that yeah, you do pay more attention to it because you become aware of it. But at the same time, when dealing with this Amityville stuff, I wouldn't I wouldn't take anything for granted. Luke Yeah, exactly.
3: again, again, you're exactly right. I'm I'm not saying it's you know I have the, the demons from Amityville or you know um, have been infested in my home and I, I see it all the time, but it's just it's a weird thing but other than that not really um you know i i i haven't had anything that's been connected with the case that i can see as is proof one way or another that um something has reached out to me but um i i i believe that there are people who are involved with this who who definitely do um i'm very good friends with with christopher lutz who's You know, he's now changed his last name. I I believe he's been on your program, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, we've had him on a couple times. I've gotten the chance to to speak to him personally. And uh, he's just, he's somebody who you can definitely tell is like kind of shell-shocked about some of the events that he went through.
3: He is. And, you know, Christopher is a great guy. I've I've known Christopher for, uh, we actually were just talking uh, last week, I think it was, and we were laughing because we've known each other for 15 years already. And he is one of the most down-to-earth people that you'll meet. Um, And what he went through, I don't think anybody really knows for sure because he hasn't completely told his story. But when you talk to him, when you speak with him on the phone or you see him and you you look in his eyes, you know that something happened to him. And, uh, you know, I I hope he comes out someday and and can kind of, you know, clean house, so to speak, and Mm -hmm. say what happened and what didn't happen. Um, but that's that's up to him to decide. Yeah, I mean that
0: was kind of the weird thing that happened is we had him on the show and it was right around the time when he was planning that big Halloween you know uh, pay per view stream where he was going to let all come out in that and that and it didn't end up really working out. But he was being very coy with a lot of the stuff that he was talking about and he kept saying you know when when you watch the pay per view I'll talk more about this and when you talk about and we were getting kind of frustrated with that a little bit because we felt like you know. We're coming. you're coming on we're asking questions you've got to give us a little bit more than just hyping up your pay-per-view and it wasn't until I listened to that show a little bit later on that I realized it wasn't just that it was the fact that some of the stuff he still wasn't even ready to share and he still wasn't even ready to to, to you know open up about and it wasn't until i had the chance to, to meet him in person and we had a few drinks and we were kind of just relaxing that i realized exactly what kind of an impact this had on him and i'm not you know i'm not surprised that he hasn't been able to tell that whole story yet
3: right exactly and and again that's you know it, it should be on his timeline it's it's his story to tell and and it's you know, they moved into the house in 1975 and moved out just 28 days later, you know, in in the beginning of 1976. So it's taken him that long to even just reveal the small tidbits of information that that he has revealed so far. Um, And those small tidbits of information um, have, unfortunately, a lot of it has, has already been blown out of proportion. So I think he's he wants to tell the story, but he's also very protective of the story in a sense too, because he doesn't want to be taken advantage of. You know, you were talking about, um, Andrea Perrin and, 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 uh, Norma Sutcliffe. You know, you, you look at what's happening there. He doesn't want that. He's had to live with that for the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he doesn't want to have to go through that again, but he struggles with it because he wants to be able to tell what really happened.
0: And in a way, you know, you can never really have closure. I think in in that type of a situation until you do get it out there and and you do try to make people understand why it's had that effect on you. And I, and I don't know that even. Even if he got the chance to come out and, and he did just bear all, you still have to deal with all the people who are never going to fully believe it, the people who are still going to poke holes in it, people who are going to accuse him of just trying to profit off of it. And I, I don't think anybody would tear their life apart as much as he has uh, just just to make a few bucks or just to get a, a few extra eyes on your story.
3: Exactly. And he has he has no reason to at this point. Um, you know, both George and Kathy are, are sadly gone. They have told their side of the story. They've they've done interviews for documentaries, and and obviously the book was written. Um, They've told their side of the story. He has he has nothing to prove to anybody. Um, Danny has nothing to prove to anybody. Uh, Melissa, their younger sister, has absolutely nothing to prove to anybody. They don't have to tell this story. So for, you know, for Danny to come out and for Danny to tell his story, for Christopher to start to open up, um, people have to understand that they need to be very very respectful of what information they're willing to release and very respectful of, of the story and of their personal lives as well because they are people i mean these these are not these are not characters in a book or in a movie these are real people who have a story to tell
0: and what bothers me the most about it too is the fact that people will argue with with chris and danny obviously you know melissa's staying out of the public eye but they'll they'll argue with them and they'll complain about some of the things they talk about but they're basing their opinions not on what the lutz family went through or not on any of the research or the case but on what they've seen in pop culture in horror movies and, and in that terrible book that you know although it does a great job of drawing you into the story and into the case uh, it didn't really do a lot of justice for the family in terms of uh, not you know telling the truth of what happened to them and so i think people are kind of trying to debate what they're saying based on Hollywood fiction and, and and bestseller fiction as opposed to the actual experiences that these kids went through.
3: Right. Yep, and I agree 100%. I think, um, you know, the 2005 remake of the Amityville Horror did nobody any favors. Mm. Um, and if anything, I think, you know, there was some movement in the very early 2000s to revisit the story. Um, the History's Mysteries uh, TV series went out and did a two-part documentary series on the case, um, exploring both the, the DeFeo murders and then kind of debating the haunting versus hoax theories. And that was the first time in, in over 20 years that George and Kathy had publicly spoken about what had happened. So there was really some momentum going towards trying to really get to the bottom of what happened during those 28 days there. And um, it was really sort of the perfect storm what happened and that's the 2005 movie came out that was um, fictionalized uh, a lot of what happened to that family and then George and Kathy both passed within a few years of each other so that momentum was kind of taken away and and here we are today again there's you know more movies coming out there's a lot of B films that are out right now that have just been released we have uh, Amityville The Awakening which has been postponed I think two or three times um, but that's set to be released now in, in january i believe it you know amityville the the amityville horror is not going to go away anytime soon and and that's the bottom line
0: i think it's because it's such a classic uh you know it's a classic haunted house story for people to have to to endure uh, and it, it kind of plays upon the fear of everybody that moves into a into a house that they, they they're new to but also it shows uh you, know, if you because, you know, you can have all these other haunted houses that are out there, but because there's such a, a horrible backstory to that particular house, it ties everything together in such a neat bow that it gives Hollywood a lot of different angles to play with in telling that story, and, and none of them have to be the truth in order to put out an entertaining and profitable movie.
3: Right. Yep, and, and that's, that's, that's so true. Um, you know, it was the perfect storm. It really was. You had uh, the massacre of six people in this... Uh, Very upscale neighborhood. It's if you've ever been to Amityville, you know that it's um, it's on the water. You know everybody owns a cruiser; they're 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 all in the water all the time. These beautiful, beautiful houses. So you had this kind of family that that well, they they were murdered in in cold blood by their oldest son. And one year later, a a new young family moves in. I mean, George and Kathy were in their late twenties when they moved into that house. They had three young kids with them, and they move in to this house where these horrendous murders happened and they're only there 28 days and they leave and not only did they leave but they left everything that they had behind um that is really the sticking point for me is you know if if this was fake they'd want to go back and get their clothes or get their cars or you know Mm -hmm. george had boats and motorcycles they left all of that behind um so that to me really rings true to something happened to them
0: and then you know the one of the accusations is always, well, they, they followed the formula. They moved to a place where there was a lot of tragedy and then come out with a story of a haunting so they can come and profit off it. But people forget this was kind of the first story where that happened, where people profited off moving into a place where there was this horrendous tragedy that took place. So they weren't following any kind of blueprint. It ended up becoming the blueprint based on their experiences.
3: Right. Exactly. They, they, in a way, sort of set the precedents for that. Um, there was nobody who had done anything right. like this. Uh, you had The Exorcist, which had come out just a few years before. Um, you know, they, they experienced something and unfortunately there was some, you know, there were some audio tapes that were made of their experiences and, uh, it's my understanding there's, there's still a set of those that there's a couple of people who may have those, but they've never been released and it'd be really great to hear those audio tapes because they were recorded only months after moving out of that house. So that is going to be the freshest memory of of what actually transpired there, and those, those tapes were those, those tapes were then taken and turned into uh, the novel, The Amityville Horror by Jay Anson. Well,
0: I was going to say, were those those uh, were those interviews with Anson where he was trying to get the information, or were they just laying out their story for future use?
3: It was kind of a, a, a little bit of both. I mean, I think the the idea behind it was, is hey, while the story is fresh in our minds, let's sit down and let's record everything, from, from the day that we purchased the house, the day that we moved in, to the day that we left. Um, those those tapes were something that George uh, said in later years that he was not proud of, uh, some of the language that he was using. He was not proud of the language that was being used. Um, so they've never been released. I, I, I can't confirm that they still exist, but I have heard rumors that there are a few people that still have them, that they're kind of locked away and uh, money has even been offered for them, but uh, the number of uh, what is wanted for them is so unbelievably high that I don't think anybody would be willing to pay for it. But I, I think it started out as both, um, and it ended up being transcribed and uh, turned into the Amiable Horror.
0: Hmm. Yeah, those. I mean, that would definitely uh, make a big difference. I think in a lot of a lot of people's opinions, uh, if they were able to hear that. I mean, I would have guessed that. You know, because of the relationship they had, if George had some of those tapes, he might have passed them on to Lou Gentili, and then Lou Gentili passing away, who knows where they could have ended up from there. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, I mean, I I think hearing more of that out of people's own words, where it's not, you know, something that was being made for, hey, come sit in front of this camera, and oh, and by the way, we'll pay you for your time. You know, I think uh, it would be a lot more raw and emotional for people to, to have to really kind of sympathize with what they went through when you hear it in that fashion.
3: Right. And and I think it really also exposes, you know, what happened. Uh, George and Kathy were both very vocal, as have the kids that have spoken about it, that what was written in that book was exaggerated. What happened and what you saw on film was very much exaggerated. So to be able to kind of peel back the onion, so to speak, and to get to what exactly happened to them in that house over the course of 28 days um, would, I believe, answer a lot of questions. And it would probably... Open a whole bunch of doors, and and you know probably create some questions too, but I think it would also really help us get to the bottom of the story itself.
0: Well, I I think too, though, that if you hear you know when you hear Chris talk about it, and and we heard him talk about on the show, you hear Danny talk about it, you know, for them, it wasn't just the exaggeration of what Anson put in the book, uh, the different things that you know really played it up for the book and the movie. Those exaggerations, while not true to their story and kind of just put in there for scares for the audience, what was scarier for them was the idea that, you know, George was involved in this, that George somehow kind of conjured this up and, and the fact that, you know, this was something that their family may have been put into intentionally. Uh and that's what's scarier for me if I'm them, is wondering, you know, were you put in this position because somebody decided to play around with something they didn't understand or, or maybe actually might have intentionally meant to do harm
3: to you. Right, and and there is no doubt that there was some involvement with the occult there. Um, Ray Buckland, who I think is from your neck of the woods, correct? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. He, so he knew, or he had uh, had some kind of contact with George, uh, either while living in the house or just right before living in the house. And um, Ray Buckland is is you know into the occult, and and he's very knowledgeable about those kind of things. Also, when Ed and Lorraine Warren visited the house and did their investigation on March 6, 1976, if you look through those photos, there is actually a book that is sitting on the, uh, on the coffee table in the living room that, if you zoom in on it, it is a book called In the Name of the Devil.
1: Hmm.
3: Why that book was in the house, I, I don't know, but hearing now the stories of what both Danny and Christopher have had to say, uh, it kind of ties those two together.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty uh, pretty telling there. And I'm assuming, that, and you mentioned in your bio that you know you got involved in researching that case because of the book and the movie. How did you happen upon it? Because I remember, I remember clearly what happened to me. I found the Amityville Horror book at a flea market. Um, my dad had a table, and I was looking to find a book to. I used to buy comics or novels or whatever just to kill time while I was there with him. and, and I found the book, and I started reading it, and I was hooked. And I had finished the book by the end of the day. Uh, that's just how quickly I read through it all, and in retrospect, after reading it later, it's because it's not a very well written book, and anybody could read it in a day. But, <laughs> <laughs> right. but uh, how did it happen it, for you it, that? It... Yeah, I
3: mean, my my story is actually very similar to that. Um, I was at the grocery store with my mom when I was when I was real little. We were checking out, and there was a book that was almost like a, a pocket book size book, very small, probably only had seventy five, one hundred pages in it. Um, but it was called, you know, Ghosts and Hauntings of America or something like that. I wish I still had it because this is really what triggered my fascination with the story. But in that, I started reading it and there was discussion of, uh, you know, I remember off the top of my head, I remember there was a talking about the, the ghost of Abraham Lincoln in the White House. Um, and my dad was looking through it and he said, hey, you should read this story about the Amityville Horror. And, and again, some people are probably rolling their eyes and going, oh, I can't believe you're letting the kid read that. I I was always very much into that. and I understood uh, the um, kind of the uh, everything behind it. I wasn't the kind of kid who was going to run and and cry and hide away from these things. I I was fascinated by it. and And he recommended that I read that story. And again, it was probably only you know seven or eight pages of this little book that kind of detailed the Amityville horror. Um, but that really kicked me off, and I, I started reading more about it. Um, and then probably within. Maybe three or four months. I actually did the exact I, I, same thing. I found the Amityville Horror at a garage sale and took it home. Read it. Completely fascinated by it. Um, and it wasn't long after that. Ended up renting the movie. Uh, it was actually the one the one film growing up that I could not watch at night alone by myself. Still to this day, I I, I can remember that specifically. The first time watching the movie, and they get to the final night. I I couldn't couldn't watch it by myself. It was dark. I had to stop it. And watch it the next morning.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, even to this day, like if it pops on TV, I will watch it, uh, and I will. It, it, I'll have the same feeling that I had, like, the first time that I watched it. The same feeling of. I know that it's only based on a true story, but if even if, you know, 15, 20% of this is true, I can't imagine how anybody was able to live through that.
3: Right. And, you know, I. I can I say 100% that the haunting happened there no i can't because i didn't live there i didn't i I wasn't there to experience it at that time um i have gone back and forth in my head over whether it was a hoax whether there was a haunting and i still continue to kind of find myself in the middle i i think really what helps me lean more one way is is my conversation that i had with danny lutz in 2009 it's been my conversations that i've had with christopher over the last 15 years, um, something happened to these kids, and I, and I don't know what it was. You know, my theory was for a long time that, um, you know, you can get your kids to believe anything. You know, there are certain holidays where we tell our kids, hey, so and so is coming, and they believe it. But, you know, I can remember being, uh, you know, seven or eight years old, and it's still to this day, I remember seeing the Easter Bunny. Did I really see the Easter Bunny? No, I didn't. But it was the excitement, it was my parents telling me that it was at night that he was coming. And I saw the Easter Bunny that night. So for a while, I kind of believed that. But as you get to know these guys, you see it. You, you, you just get to, it, it's so hard to explain unless you actually talk to them in person and see the, see the hurt, see the fear, see the anger in their eyes and what comes out of their mouths. Um, regarding the story, it's, it's, it, it's unbelievable. One of the books that I've
2: always
0: wanted to read, and I've never had the chance to, to actually get my hands on a copy of it, and I, I think that it's getting harder and harder to find it, um, but have you ever read John G. Jones's Amityville Horror 2?
3: I have, yes.
0: Yep. And and does that, I mean, how would you rate that in terms of the, the fairness of the accuracy of what the Lutzes went through in the post-Amityville uh, horror era?
3: Yeah, you know, again, I, I can't speak for them, and I, I'm not going to speak for them, but mm-hmm. I think that book was written with the intent to be, uh, you know, very fictional. Um, and I think there are parts of it that are maybe captured um, that that maybe represent what they were going through at that time, that they were traveling across the country trying to get away from Amityville, and whatever this was that was in this house continued to follow them all the way out to California. But it's my belief, and, and Christopher and I have not had any serious discussions about Amityville too. 2. Um, I know that he does not have... Uh, Very good things to say about it, but we've we've not gotten into detail. Um, I, it's a fictional fictional book. That's that's all I can say.
0: And I would have to dismiss it as such as well. Again, having never read it, but uh, just knowing that Jones just went off to write, you know, numerous Amityville total fiction sequels after that, that uh, you know, I wouldn't put much stock in in what he put into that one. But
3: it does. They just came out with Amityville Christmas or something like that. It was just a book (laughs) I haven't read that one, but. yeah it, it I kind of got a little ridiculous I think
0: it just it just shows though that uh you know that at least people were interested in knowing what happened to the family afterwards and uh, right. and and I know that Chris has talked about you know what what's still with him where he lives now today, you know that there is still that evil that's reaching into his life even now
3: right and 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 he admits that i mean he does say that uh you know even um in talking with him. Just, uh, again, last week or the week before, I forget what it was, uh, there was an audio, um, there was a video that was that had used audio of George Watts talking uh, before he died. It was a 20-minute clip that was put on YouTube, and Christopher said to me, he said, this brought back a rush of memories, things that I don't think he even really remembered, but hearing somebody say something about it or hearing George talk about it, it instantly triggers some of those memories. Um, so... You know, if he were to sit down and have the intent to write a book, which I believe he does, um, it's who knows what he what he has on his plate that he's willing to share with people.
0: And I'm sure that you know, people will always point to it as being a hoax because. You know, there's been no reported activity in the house ever since. But a lot of these times when, when something like this goes down, it, it, it doesn't persist after somebody else has left, especially if it has followed them. But that being said, you're heading out on the road, you're hitting the road. The Amityville house currently is uh, in the process of be, it's being put up for sale and will have new owners soon. I've got to think that if somehow, some way it could work out, that would be kind of a, a dream destination for you to be able to include in the film.
3: Let's let's put it this way. It would be probably at the top of my that list I was talking about earlier. The top ten places, mm-hmm. it would be at the top of my list. But I, I have to say, I do not believe that house is currently haunted. And for anybody who's listening out there who wants to go to Amityville and see the house, and especially anybody who who wants to go and trust trespass on the property, leave the family alone. They 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 know they're living in probably one of the most if not the most famous houses in the world but it's a beautiful house they've done a lot to restore it they don't want to be bothered you know there's plenty of pictures online there's video online um try not to try not to bother them don't don't get in their face when they come out to their cars and they they try to leave and unfortunately people actually do that i mean it's you read some of the stories online of people who are going to the backyard in the middle of the night and they're taking pictures or ringing the doorbell and and it's really sad and and again you know, they have to take some ownership too. They realize that they are living in this famous house. Um, but that house is currently not haunted, in my opinion. It, it's not. Um, it is for sale right now. Uh, I hope, uh, you know, another family can move in there and love it and take care of it. But it, it, in my opinion, is not haunted currently.
0: So you feel like, you know, if, if, if this stuff was true and it was, you know, if all these, and again, as you said, you've talked to them, so you, you have it in your gut that they went through something you think that it followed them that it, or or that it just left everybody else that's been there alone
3: yeah I you know I have to believe that that again it was a combination of what happened at that time it was the fail was being murdered you know thirteen months before the watch moved in um, it was that energy that was still there sort of that that sadness that was in that house combined with whatever. Uh, you know cause this to happen and again the, the children now say that or at least uh, Danny and Christopher say that you know George was the one to um, you know conjure this this stuff up um, so I again it was that perfect storm of you had the murders you had uh, George doing whatever he was doing if he was in fact doing something and I believe whatever was specifically targeted that family um, I've talked with people who have owned the house in the past I've talked to Dozens of people who have been in the house, and, you know, they say it's a lovely house. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, so I, I really have to believe if there was, in fact, something there, it targeted the Lutz family, and it left that house either immediately when they did or right thereafter.
0: I'm a big proponent of the idea that a lot of what we encounter in hauntings, or, or some of what we encounter in hauntings, can be... Um Things that we've created on our own, you know, what, what you might want to call a thought form, uh, but that sometimes we think a place should be haunted, so therefore we make it haunted, which to me, it's just as, as, as I always say, it's just as fascinating as thinking like dead people are still hanging around. I think being able to kind of create all this phenomena with our own minds uh, or our collective subconscious is, is even more fascinating to me than that. Is it possible that because of the tragedy that had happened, because it being still so fresh, the family being the first ones to move in, because they have this, at least, George has this proclivity for you know an interest in the occult. Is it possible that all of this, while not um, I'm not trying to lessen the impact that it had on them and, and, and the the effect that it had on them, but is it possible that this was all something that kind of happened by their own creation inadvertently
3: uh It, it very well could have you know uh, if you listen listen to Danny talk, if you listen to Christopher talk something something happened to that family that you know, according to them, was sparked by George, I mean, and they've been pretty clear about that that he was in the occult, that he was um you know practicing some dark things while in that house and potentially even conjuring up these you uh, know demons or spirits or whatever it was. but again, you have to look at the story and the fact that six people were murdered there thirteen months prior to them moving in. Is it that inconceivable to think that that house could potentially be haunted by one of the spirits of the DeFeo family. It's not. I mean, you, you have this, this tragic story that happened there. And, and I, I believe even Mary Downey, who was a psychic who investigated with the warrants said she experienced, you know, a, a teenage girl who was in one of the upper bedrooms and who was crying and she helped that spirit pass over. Um, so, so could we believe that potentially the DeFeo family having been murdered there, only a year prior, could that have had something to do with it? Absolutely. You no, know, Kathy talked about being uh, touched in the kitchen by what she felt like was a, a spirit of a of a loving female. You know, there there have actually been uh, whether people believe this or, or realize this or not, there have actually been quite a few people that have died in that house, um, including the original uh, owner of the house when it was built in the 1920s. So, you know, could this have just been a, a house that had um, you know i hate to use the word normal haunting but just uh you know maybe a residual haunting or or the fact that the spirits maybe didn't know that they were dead yeah, perhaps and then if you introduce this really dark uh i don't want to say satanic but maybe some uh you know occult features in this it it creates something that obviously spawned probably the greatest haunted house story of, of all
0: time. I mean, it, it's even possible that if it was like kind of a, a quote-unquote run-of-the-mill, you know, residual haunting, that knowing, going into this knowing what happened would just, you know, 13 months prior would be enough to kind of amplify all of that in your mind. So right. a woman touching you or something falling off the cabinet suddenly becomes, you know, a demonic figure appearing in the fireplace type of thing where, right. you know, your mind is just led to to wander based on, this little bit that suddenly becomes so much work. You know, it's like when I see one bee in my backyard and I'm suddenly like, all right, where's this nest? There's a nest. (laughs) You know, it's like it just takes one little thing to to play upon those fears.
3: Right. And, you know, the thing is, do I believe that George and Kathy perhaps exaggerated things? Absolutely. I think what happened with Amityville, it, it got so big that, I don't want to say they had to, but they they continued to kind of feed that story. Mm-hmm. You know, it it got so big, so fast, it became this international phenomenon that it 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 was almost so hard to control. It snowballed so fast um, that they had to feed into it a little bit. Um, you know, there's there's stories of of you know when when I, I believe it was the Merv Griffin show, uh, George and Kathy were on, and they said that there was uh, some documented proof that you know the ooze that was dripping from the keyholes. Um, that there was actually that that was taken from the house. That there was some uh, some that substance taken from the house. Well, where did that go? We we don't know. And, and I'm not saying that that wasn't true, but there was just some things that were added to it along the way to kind of spice it up. I believe that's that is my personal opinion anyway.
0: That's why they always say based on a true story, <laughs> so they right. can get away with adding what they want i've always said that too about the about the conjuring it it seems like they already had kind of an an idea for a horror movie in the works and then they also took you know what andrea was saying was what happened to her family and they said well maybe if we kind of combine these two we can come up with a really scary movie and i think that happens kind of more often than not with the fictional movies but with the documentaries obviously you know you're getting people's raw reactions to things and and that's what i'm most interested in seeing what happens with your documentary is you know being able to see not only these investigations that you're going to go on but being able to see the actual reactions to them and, and and have it be about the experience of going through it as well as it is whatever it is that you capture
3: and you know i think you really hit home there i think as i said when we first started this the the paranormal has become normal to talk about again around the kitchen table it, it wasn't 20 years ago. I mean, people kind of scoffed at it, but whether you like the shows that are on TV right now or you don't like them, that whole, this, this whole generation of, of ghost hunting and, and paranormal that has come from that, um, it, it's created this, um, you know, this, this way for us to actually now be able to have uh, something to talk about. We We have, we can talk about the fact that, hey, this house is haunted, or hey, did you hear this over here is haunted? So I think when I approach somebody, as I did with the Palmer House, um, just walking around, when I say, hey, my name is Blaine Duncan, I'm a documentary filmmaker, Um, I'd like to talk to you about any experiences that you've had here at the Palmer House. People are much more willing to open up, where 20, 30, 40 years ago, it was sort of a hush-hush thing, and, you know, yeah, we understand it's haunted, but we're going to kind of push it off to the side and pretend it doesn't exist. Where now, again, it's become normal. So for me to be able to capture those raw reactions to my questions it's it's it 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 definitely helps make the film and that's what i'm most excited about is just being able to, to make contact with so many of these people and to share their story
0: and it seems like when you're when you're involved in this when you're on this path it kind of draws other people in that are like-minded. Uh, you know, I will go to a yard sale. I've told the story before, but I'll go to a yard sale. I'll pick something up, and somebody will think nothing of telling me, "Oh, well, that, you know, that's haunted." That my, my my grandmother told me that that was haunted, or, or it just turns into something where all of a sudden, you know, you're having these conversations with people where you can't even figure out, like, how do we start talking about this? Like, right. all of a sudden, we're talking about ghosts and their experiences standing here on the front lawn of their house, right?
3: And and I think it's great, especially for people like us that are um, that are fascinated by this. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to do a Google search and look up a, a location and, and see the, you know, thousands of hits or pictures or whatever it is, um, or, or even just evidence that's been captured by other paranormal groups that's gone in there. And um, that has uh, helped me, and it's something that I'm taking with me on the road as well, is I want to be able to talk to paranormal investigators who've gone to some of these locations um, and, and if anybody out there emails me or, or contacts me on Facebook and, and gives me something, uh, you know, a location that I haven't heard of yet or or just evidence that they'd like to pass along, I, I want to be able to take that with me and, and use that. You know, one of the best EVPs that I caught was actually at the Palmer House, uh, I believe it was in 2012, I I caught very clearly a little boy screaming stop. It was actually really sad because there was, uh, you know, this this voice that was, uh, under some kind of pressure. You know, I mean, he 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 wanted to let me know or let somebody know uh, that, and right before that, there was actually another voice that said, um, uh, it said actually stop, and then there was this help. So, you know, they were interacting with each other, but I, I went back to the Palmer House here two weeks ago, and I was able to use that and try to contact that same spirit who, you know, picked me for whatever reason to share that with. You know, I mean, they they, they do, they pick us, and they not everybody, somebody can be standing in a room and see something, and the person sitting right next to them doesn't see it, and they're looking in the same area. That's because they want you to hear these things. They want you to see these things. So that day, that moment, I was picked to hear those voices. You know, there's,
0: you know, working with the TV shows that I've worked with, you know, there's a process involved when somebody uh, has a story, and, and, you know, we're the ones that are usually contacting people about stories that we've heard. Uh, there's a process of kind of vetting the story and vetting the location. Uh, how is that going to work for you, uh, especially if you're going to be doing some of the stuff kind of on the fly? W- are you going to be kind of just going with your gut for a lot of this? I mean, there's, there's really, when you're out there and you're on the road, I mean, I guess you could go to, like, town archives and stuff and kind of search some of the stuff that people are telling
3: you, but you're going to have to rely a lot on instinct. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I, I'm I a very skeptical person, you know, um, even at the Palmer House. Uh, when I was there the first night, I went and sat in on a tour uh, with with a large group of people that were also staying there, and, and some people were saying some things, and and I'm not doubting what they were seeing or hearing, but I, I'm always very skeptical about things, and I think, well, it could be, you know, playing light, or, you know, somebody shuffled their feet, and maybe you heard that. Um, so I have to rely on, on my skepticism. I have to rely on the fact that um, I I need to get these genuine reactions out of people, and I think I have a, I'm a pretty good judge of character. And if somebody's trying to give me a line or somebody, you know, set me down the river, I, I, can pick up on that. And, and we'll do our best to, you know, try to keep away from that. You know, there's, there's always some times when you have to take people at face value. And if you're telling me what you're telling me is true, some of it I, I just have to believe. But, um, there are going to be those times where if somebody tells me something and I, I, I'm going to have to shake it off and say, it, it just doesn't add up for me, just like it does with any other case. For for you know, ambival, for instance, there are things that people say that it just it doesn't add up. Um, so I I just have to cut that away.
0: Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing it again. You're predicting it'll probably be out uh, August of 2017. That's the plan.
3: Yeah, that's what we're shooting for right now. So again, we're this summer we're going to be doing the the bulk of the filming, maybe into uh, early fall. But we want to really do all of our editing um, and get everything wrapped up. Uh, by springtime, and, and hope to have it released sometime mid to late summer of 2017.
0: And is there any any plan on on the release and, and how that how you plan to distribute it?
3: Well, I think there's there's a, a you know a couple of different ways we'd like to to distribute it and market it. Um, obviously, I'd like to get it into uh, some film festivals and get it put out there to get some exposure that way for the film. Um, but we've looked at a couple of different options, whether that's you know Hulu or Netflix or um, some kind of video on demand system. Um, It's kind of all up in the air, and and really we want to see, you know, again, that's a great part of the documentaries. We want to see how it goes. We want to see what we get, and and hopefully you'll be able to see it in some some film festivals and be able to take it around to some of the, you know, the conventions uh, around the U.S. and get some exposure to it that way.
0: Excellent. Well, we will certainly keep our eyes peeled for it and certainly keep us up to date with everything that's going on, and if you're up on our neck of the woods, give us a shout.
3: Absolutely. I will do that. Thank you guys so much for having me
0: on. All right. Thank you for coming on. Good luck with everything, and stay safe out there. Thank you, sir. All right, that is Blaine Duncan. He is the creator of the Paranormal Diaries documentary that will be forthcoming, and uh, we thank him for joining us tonight and for also sharing with us uh, so much of his passion for the Amityville case. Uh, And really, like, when, when somebody has that much... When they've invested that much of themselves into researching one particular case, it just goes to show that you can really, kind of, at least in my opinion, you can really pay attention to the research they're doing on other cases too because it shows how thorough and how involved they can be.
2: Sort of like you do.
0: Yeah, I try. I try to at least at least pay a little bit of attention to things. Uh, and speaking of paying attention, for anybody who's been watching on Spooky TV tonight, you may see that I am wearing a t-shirt for Shovel Town Investigations uh, which uh, Ross and his, and his crew over there, we put out the call last week that if anybody wants to send us over, I don't know which camera, I'm looking at this one here, uh, I feel like one of those people on TV, which, which camera? Um, so, uh, but if you uh, remember last week, I mentioned that because we really can't promote paranormal groups on the show, it's, we can't have every parano- paranormal group come on, it was different in the early days, 10 years ago when there was only a couple around, but now there's so many that it wouldn't wouldn 't be interesting for the listener to have to hear group after group kind of sharing the same type of stories, so uh, what we came up with instead is if people you know if you want us to uh, promote your group, uh, a good way of doing that is to send us in some t shirts so you can email us. Uh, spooky crew at spooky dot com. If you need to know anybody's size, you know, maybe you want me to wear it, maybe you want Moniz, maybe you want Stephanie, maybe you want Matt. You know, it's up to you uh what you want to do, but uh just let us know and if it's agreeable to the parties involved, we're not gonna make you wear anything you're not comfortable with. Somebody's like thinking right now. I got a shirt I can send <laughs> I Stephanie. Know. Yeah, but uh so if you want to send it to us, we'll wear it on Spooky TV, and that will give us the opportunity to kind of promote it. And uh, I will, uh, I'll, I'm will i going to do a quick spin around so I can show the back of the shirt. Uh, Matt, you can see me probably best
2: when you let everybody know just the information on the back. Shovel Town Investigations. Dig up the truth on Facebook. Do you want me to read the number?
0: Please,
2: yes. Yeah. 508-205-9804
0: so there you go if you're if you're local who are around here and you want to reach out to Shovel Town Investigations that's how you can do so and uh, th- I've, I just think this is a good interesting way to promote it you know and we'll you send us a t-shirt we're probably going to end up wearing it somewhere else and getting some more word out there for you as well and uh, it's a good way to kind of spread it around without having to have a lot of repetitive stuff here on the show so it seems fair right <laughs> yeah and it gives us you know more clothes to wear because, you know, as you said Moniz wears the same thing every week. He does. So. (laughs) All right, that about does it for this week's show. Uh, As we mentioned, next week we have the rescheduled appearance of Ken Gerhardt to talk about the Jersey Devil and other strange cryptids. Uh, And if you want to reach us at any point during the week, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com is the way to get a hold of us or follow us on Twitter at spooky sc and we will of course be back with another show next week but you can check out all the archives we've got what 10 years worth up there for you to check out and uh, and also we have the youtube videos and and matt's been doing a great job of putting up little clips as well so always something fresh new to check out on the new spooky so until next week we want you all to stay spooktacular